Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, your regular guide sharing tools and expertise to build a life full of positivity and possibility. Here's your host, Russell Thackeray. So today we're going to talk to Anna Richards. Anna is someone I think has got some really interesting perspectives, some expertise, which I think a lot of people will find very useful and beneficial, and some really real practical skills, approaches and such like to, to have a think about, especially around parenting. So um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So good afternoon, Anna, how are you? Good afternoon, I'm really well, thanks. How are you? I'm very good indeed. So Anna, if you had to describe uh, what you're all about, tell me what you would say. Well, I'm a holistic therapist, I'm a counsellor, hypnotherapist and a Reiki healer. The most important job I do, though, is as a mum. Tell me more. Okay. Um, Well, I have ten children. Uh, They're educated at home. Uh, Two of them are a little bit older, so they're at work, but most of them are at home with me all day, every day. And that's my idea of raising my kids. So... That's interesting, isn't it? So it's rare to hear the words 10 children um, (laughs) (laughs) these days, isn't it? So was this part of your life plan to have 10 kids? No, no, no. My life plan from the age of 11 was to have six kids. But um, I just found that every time I thought I was finished, uh, a couple of years later, I'd, I'd be going, no, there's more. There's more to come through. So I just carried on. And then the last two were twins, and that kind of rounded things up nicely. Fantastic. So you had the one pet, one set. We'll have to come. We'll have to look at the family makeup in a minute. But tell me, tell okay. me about life before kids. What were you, what were you up to then? Because you talked about some very interesting things about the therapy, therapeutic side. So tell me more about that. Well, most of that I started um, in the twenty years that I've been a mum because before I was a mum, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have I was a completely different person. Being a mum is what's given me the drive to become more and to pursue this career. That's really interesting. You're not the first person I've heard say that. So what is it mm. you think, how, how do you think being a mum gives you confidence? Is it like a sense of, because um, I clearly, this is something I don't understand because I, I don't have any first-hand <laughs> experience. But is it, is it like, well, tell me, tell me how you get confidence from being a mum. Yeah, I, I mean, I know for a lot of women, they feel especially if they've had a career before, they, they become a mum and they feel as though they lose part of themselves and they lose their confidence. But for me, um, because of the way my life had been up to the point when I had my first child, um, it's empowering to be able to carry this child, to bring this amazing person into the world, to have the responsibility. Um, it, for me, that was empowering. And <laughs> that's why I did it nine times <laughs> right <laughs> and so was that was that about sort of finding your sense of yourself or something absolutely my, my kids have been my greatest well they still are my greatest teachers I, everything everything that I think I am now and who I become is thanks to them and you know they really are the greatest teachers I've had right so how, how do you mean well um, <clears throat> I suppose like your greatest teacher isn't necessarily the one who's going to bring out things in you in the best way. They're not going to be the nicest to you, but they have 
propelled me through such a huge, um, you know, period of growth. I've and in the 20 years that I've been a mum, I have grown so much, and that, that it must be dad having them. Right. I'm certain of it. And I think, I suppose you can see in them a reflection of yourself and what you believe and how you brought them up, I suppose. Um, yeah, I suppose now that some of them are, are getting a bit older and I hear, you know, their perspective and the way they look at the world, um, a lot of that I can see that that is a reflection of, of my views and I'm, a lot of it I'm very proud of. Um yeah, they are. I mean, they, they are and they aren't. I, I don't see my children as a reflection of me. They're all very individual. But I'm glad that a lot of the values that I have, they also have, which is, you know, for me, that's what's important. It, you know, parenting for me is leaving a legacy. Yes. And I'm guessing, I'm assuming there's, a, there's another person involved in this. So there must be a sense <laughs> of shared values and you'll see commonalities across because it's almost a statistical sample isn't it having having this many kids you can see gender balances and gender differences i'm guessing and um yeah perhaps how, have you noticed all that sort of thing um i don't know whether i noticed that quite so much um you know i i hear the things that some of the boys will uh, kind of regurgitate because they've seen things on TV and I'm very quick to correct things and to try and keep this as equal as possible. I think equality is really important. So my daughters are as strong and as feisty uh, as my boys. Right. That's interesting. So tell me the breakdown of the, of the group, as it were. So, um, so how many oh, okay. boys, how many girls, how, how, how does it all work out? Yeah, okay. Um, the eldest is 20. We've got Sam. We've got eight sons. Um, and Sam is the eldest at 20. And the twins, two boys, are age three and two daughters. Wow. So eight boys, two girls. <laughs> Just two girls? Right, okay. Yes. <laughs> so you're all quite heavily outnumbered in that house, actually, aren't you? We are. And I think because of that, that's why the girls are so strong and, and have got their voices because they've had to. Yes. So, so, so you talk to me. So, what, Blam, I don't know where to start. So, we have so many exciting things to talk about. So, let, <laughs> let's talk about you said that on this journey, you've developed all these other sort of holistic skills and practices. So, so tell, me, yeah. tell me about that and why you did that. Okay. Um, I really wanted to be able to. <sighs> Well, I, selfishly, I suppose, I wanted to do something that was for me. So I wanted to learn some skills that I could be proud of that were aside from being a mum, because my whole life is about other people um, in this house. But then I wanted to do something that was help, still helping other people outside. Um, my childhood gave me the best training to be able to help people, particularly people who have experienced childhood trauma um, for example so I went into counselling um, I'm not a conventional counsellor I don't think really because uh, having had counselling a lot over the years uh, which some of them were really great and without them I, I don't think I would have managed but some of them I didn't so it felt as though it wasn't helping me move on and I really believe that people have to go into counselling do the work that they need to do and be out again yeah. as quickly as possible. And and that's how I how I work. 
And the hypnotherapy and the uh, Reiki healing are just other tools that I use to help pull and to help them uh, heal from pain, uh, to get in touch with their pasts and their adulthoods and to help them kind of get through their troubles and be out again and on their way. And so you're you're running a small practice, aren't you? You're, you're actually doing this work with mm-hmm. clients and such like. And how's that? How's that? Um, it's good. Um, I like it, and I like working very much with people face to face. It's you know I'm juggling all the time because I'm juggling between the children, their education, uh, the billions of jobs that have to be done, and I'm doing this as well. So it's challenging, but I love it. So how do you do that juggling? How do, how do you make it all work? <laughs> I don't know. I, you know. It's just something that you do. Right. <laughs> it does. It works for the time and sometimes stressful, but mostly it works. You know, everybody's very kind of cooperative. I have a, I have a supportive partner and I think without him, it wouldn't work. Right. So that's interesting. So you, do you both do you both bring different sort of approaches to bear on the situation, or how how, how, do, how do you make that work between you? On on what do you mean on every day the kind of yeah, doing the, the work that needs to be done? Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I'm very much I'm well here all the time so I'm very much the person who does all the house stuff who looks after my kids I, I do the teaching um and yeah we, we both bring different things but most of all I think you know he respects what I'm trying to do and he's supportive of it and the children are also very cooperative <laughs> right so I'm guessing there's sort of there's almost sort of team building skills as well as parenting skills going on would, would, would that be fair Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, with pe- with this many people in the house, then yeah, we definitely have to work as a team because you know, without it, everything would fall apart. And I, that's in everything—not just trying to work, but you know, even the smallest thing of getting kids to bed because there's so many of them. Yeah, we work as a team. We're a good team, actually. Yeah. yeah. And I'm guessing, like any good team, you're going to have conflict and um, people rubbing each other up the wrong way. As well as times when you all get on get on together, so how, and and that's very good, isn't it? In large families, you know, for kids to have a very healthy view of disagreement and such like that, you can only you can only see that in the adult life that will serve them well. Yeah, absolutely. I I've always said that you know, for my children to challenge authority is absolutely the right thing to do, and it's what I've encouraged. But that's all very well until you are the authority, and then it becomes it becomes yeah. difficult. But. Yeah, I bet. Um, you know, yeah, I I encourage them, we both encourage them really to speak up for themselves, to say how they feel, because so many problems that adults have who um, I work with are, comes, comes down to not being able to or not knowing how to express yourself, not knowing how to feel safe and say what you think. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, holding it all in, holding it all down and it creating all kinds of emotional and physical um, illness as well. So yeah, with the children, I'm I'm kind of trying to um, how should I put it? Uh, live my beliefs and kind of horrible saying, but kind of 
walk the walk, walk the talk. What is it? Talk the walk. I don't know. One of those. One of those. It's got talking and walking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, walking and talking, but you know, doing what you know, raising them in line with my beliefs. Right. Well, let's let's have a look at that then. So, so you, so my understanding is that you homeschool all of them. Yeah. So tell, tell, tell me yeah. why you took that decision. Um, well, actually, my eldest too. My eldest, he stayed in school. I gave him the choice. Did he want to be homeschooled or not? He said no. He loved going to school, not because he was doing any work, but because of the social social angle. Um, he's had his friends. Um, my second child, our eldest daughter, she was the child that you got to school, you sat there and you said, okay, time to get out of the car now. And she started screaming because she did not want to go. And it got to the point with her where I just thought, this isn't this isn't worth it. Childhood is important and there has to be another way. I'm not going to have her remember these years like this. So I took her out of school at the age of eight. Right. Um, and then from then, all of them, uh, well, the others haven't really had a choice. <laughs> Sam had a choice, the others haven't. Um, and I, I still, even though it's difficult, and there are times when I do have doubts because it's such a huge responsibility, fundamentally I believe it's the right thing for, for us, for this family. Yes. It wouldn't work for everyone, but for, for us it works. No, and I know you're not advocating that everyone should be homeschooled, but I know what you're no, saying. No, is, no, no. But I know that you're saying this homeschooling has some advantages for your family, and certainly in terms of those values you were talking about. So that's that's important. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Hmm. So, so tell me how how do you physically do the homeschooling? How does it work? I mean, there'll be people out there who are really interested in this sort of concept anyway. So it's interesting to hear your experience because you've got so much of it. So, so how did you start? Um, we well. Do you mean how do you start? How do you take the kids out of school? How do you... Yeah, I mean, first of all, you must have taken... Like you said with your daughter, you took the decision to say, well, I'm going to look... I'm going to school her myself. So mm. how on earth do you... How on earth, You know, where would you know where to start? If I, if I want to do it myself, where would I start, I, I suppose? I think the, the first thing um, for me was to get over that fear and that belief that um, other people knew best about my children what was best for them where they should be what they should be doing and remembering that as a mum I brought them into this world and you know I am responsible for them and so I know what's best for my children Uh, which sounds a little bit arrogant but that's why I gave my eldest son the choice because I wanted him to decide for himself whether he was happier where he was or whether he felt he wanted to be at home, which was the case with, with Georgia, our second child. Um, so it was just making the decision that this is what I was going to do. I did look into it. I did, you know, internet, check with the council. And, of course, there's um, most of the time that children are taken out of school or they are home educated, it's because they have behavioural or what's termed as behavioural issues. Yes. And... Fighting against that has has that has been a challenge because you know people kind of assume that that's why you would not have your kids in school because the um, attitudes of a lot of people seems to be well yeah but that's what you do you have kids and they go to school yeah. so why would you not do that and I think it's partly my nature as well is to kind of question everything and rebel a little bit and just say well yeah but why (laughs) why do I have to do that and when I realized that I didn't have to put my children into uh, conventional education I decided that okay then I will do this myself I mean mean, that's that's pretty remarkable actually you 
the way you say it, it sounds a matter of fact, but I think that's a pretty incredible decision to make. And I think I think your comment about getting over this idea that other people know best, there's a lot of experts in the world who are prepared to tell you what's right for you, aren't they? Mm, did you yeah. how, how did you how did you cope with that? Um well as I say, you know, it's it's only really more recently that I've had the confidence I have now, but there've been some areas of my life and particularly when it comes to my children, and this might be because of my childhood, I don't know, but when it comes to my children, um I am certain of what I'm doing. There are times when I go, oh, I've made a mistake. You know, it's, it's a huge responsibility because if my children end up in their 20s and go, you know, there's so much I don't know and I didn't learn, it, it's on me. Yeah. So it really is a big responsibility. But I'm willing to take that responsibility because I really believe that the best place for my children um, is with me so that, Mine and their dad's kind of voice are the dominant ones in their childhood. Um, that anything that they're learning, you know, academic subjects, you, you don't have to go to school, be there from 8.45 till 3 in the afternoon, sat in a classroom to learn them. You can learn them anywhere. Mm. Also, my kids can learn all of these things at any time in their lives. Mm being bound by that belief that you go to school, you do your exams, you come out, you get a job, you do this, you do that. That, for me, is so limiting. And I know for some people that really works, but one size doesn't fit all. And school kind of works along the lines that one size does fit all. And, you know, children are individuals. And I want to encourage my children to remain creative um, because all kids are. Yeah. and to dream and to imagine and to daydream and to do nothing, you know, to learn how to do nothing. They go to school and it's very institutionalised, really. And institutionalised thinking doesn't promote that creativity that I want my kids to, to maintain. Does, is the risk of that approach then that they'll, they'll need to settle into a frame of life where they can be that creative? Because it's been released in them and nurtured, hasn't it? And a, and a lot of normal life is not like that. It's very driven, structured, uncreative. So, is there a risk? Mm. Is there a risk that they won't find they won't find something that meets their skills? For example, I, I'm not articulating that very well. I'm just wondering how equipped they are for the sort of traditional view yeah. of life because you're giving them a very alternative view, which is you know I love. I think it's brilliant. I mean, I'm an exposition, so I came up with this idea that you just you know you did what you loved. Yeah. But when you hit the full practicalities and horrors of getting a mortgage and all that sort of stuff, how, how do you square that circle of the balance between creativity and practicality? Okay, well, I don't actually have an answer to that. I, I believe that in the years that they're here with me, because they're not in a classroom of 20 or more other children, that in these years... Whether they're, I mean, they are learning to read and write and everything else, but even if they weren't learning those things, they're learning who they are. They're learning um, about each other. You know, there's a lot of them, so socially they've got a lot of people to interact with, but they're learning what their views are, what they think. They're not being told what to do, when to do it, what to think, when to think it. They're, they've got freedom. Mm. Um, and, you know, my eldest, he's in a very conventional job, but he's got the dream to, you know, to travel. He's not thinking, okay, so it's job, then it's mortgage, then it's 
job, 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 and then it's retirement. You know, he's. I want them to see life as the biggest, most amazing experience they could possibly have. And if they take a job that's nine to five, then they're taking a job to earn money to fuel the life that they want to be living. Mm. So, yes, I, I know what you mean, that are they going to struggle with convention? But, you know, it's not super alternative. You know, it, it's, it's a very normal life. It's just this part of their lives. And school is a really small part of your life anyway. I, I, I like I like the way you're talking about this, though, because you're talking about, I mean, you, you mentioned two things. Knowing yourself, I think, is massively important because most people don't. And the yeah. second thing is your your treat. I was going to say you're teaching them to think. I don't mean that. You're empowering them to think with responsibility and accountability, really, because you're you're giving them choices and options, aren't you? I, I do try to, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, they're the probably the I mean, they're, they're the things that get in the way of people's emotional intelligence, aren't they? Not taking control and not taking accountability for the choices they make. And mm-hmm. it sounds like that's what you're actually ingraining in them. Um. I hope so. I, and really, I don't think it's something that needs to be ingrained in children. I think children naturally are like this, but we ingrain, you know, the conventional and the nine to five into them. And I think their nature and their, their spirit is so immense that that's, you know, that's not the way they think. So I think when they, they come to do that, they get to the age of 40 and they go, oh, you know, I'm in this job and this isn't what I wanted to do. It's paying the mortgage, but there has to be more this and I just want them to to have had a childhood so they look back and they say that was fantastic and now I'm ready I'm ready to settle down I'm ready to see that I have to pay bills you know I don't want them to get to their to to the age I am and to feel that they they haven't had fun they haven't played they haven't lived because that's you know when people try and do that when they're in their 40s and 50s it's not a good look it doesn't work <laughs> but actually what you're saying is you it doesn't matter what you do because actually your job is just a means of earning money what you're saying is how you do it and how you live your life is the key essence that's yeah. i think that's what you're saying is and i think you're, you're right about your point about school ingrained structure and discipline which is fine but it does, it does in, in putting one thing in, it sort of knocks the other thing out, which is this idea that you live the life in the way you want to live it. Yeah. And, and sometimes you end up as an itinerant author and a poet wandering across the mountains. And you still end up as an architect <laughs> or a, you know, a train driver, but you can still have fun doing it. Because actually, there must be, I think there are a lot of people who could go through this sort of traditional education and end up just finding a job for no other reason than it's just what they're expected to do. And that, that must be worse. Yeah, I think so. And also what what kind of concerns me a lot is that I feel as though children, um, they start school too early. Four years old is too early to for a child to be separated from a mum, I think, or in a safe, happy home. Um, and then that's where they are. And they are absorbing the energy and the ideas of all the other children and all those children's parents and the teachers. And I just feel, you know... For me, it was the thought, really, that I could only really have my children Saturday and Sunday and from three o'clock onwards. And that, that to me, how can I fit in parenting in those hours? Mm. Because I have to knock out everybody else's beliefs first and then, and then say, no, oh, this is what we're going to do. I think it's too much for children to be absorbing all of that. Mm. It's, it's, how can you find out who you are? when you're around all these other people who are the same age as you, trying to find out who they are. Do you, do you think that there is any element 
Oh, I was going to say regret. I don't mean regret. Do you think there's anything that they have? We'll come to the upside, obviously, what you're doing in a moment. But do you think there's any downside? Do you think there's anything that they have missed from not attending the school, the sort of traditional school thing? Yeah, yeah. Of course, there's there's going to be things that that aren't perfect, and probably yeah, things come up. And I would say the biggest thing would be, and I'm sure other people would would comment that this would be it as well is not the socializing they're absolutely fantastic at um interacting with people of all ages mm. and they're, they're confident um but really that group of friends that you have not all children have that but if you have that group of friends then i think that can be very important but um, and of course i have an answer for that as well you know because they're part of a big family and maybe even if they weren't, for me, the most important thing is family. Mm. And you can have friends that you have at school, but then you get to your 20s, even your teenage years, and everybody goes different directions, and then I know you make new friends. Um, but for me, they've got each other. Their, their relationships with each other are so important because my job is, and my husband's, is to teach them as childhood being their training, how to be an adult, mm. how to survive on their own in the adult world when I'm not here. Wow. And they, they've got each other. So, you know, those relationships are so strong that they, you know, so many people have siblings and parents and they don't see each other. They haven't got that strong connection. Yeah. And to me, I just think that is so important. Yes. And it's interesting because you, you know, you often talk to people who have, um, I mean, I'm an only child. So one of, mm. one, one of the things I find is this quite curious is being someone who's been on my own all the way through my life in that sense, with no yeah. family around me in terms of siblings. And, um, I, you know, I, I listen to people who talk about their childhood experiences with their families and the closest I ever got was a, I had a couple of cousins who were about my age, and I used to go and you know I used to spend time with summer holidays with them. Yeah. And so I get that idea of this this strong family thing, and and I'm getting the idea as well that um, I'm guessing they're, pretty, they're going to be quite good at forming relationships because they're going to have to be good at dealing with the relationships across such a wide age group within the family, including the pair of you. I hope so. I certainly hope so. Um, I think you know. No, because they, like you say, they're interacting with people of, of different ages. I think that they won't go out into the world and see people as, oh, you know, they're, they're too young, I can't mix with them, they're too old. You know, they, I think they've just got, a, well, I hope, a really good grounding in people, in being human. Hmm. So, I might be wrong, I might be proven wrong <laughs> in about 10 years' time, but... Well, in, in a way, you can't be wrong, because, I mean, that's... That is the most traditional way to bring a family up, isn't it? It is round the sort of the old round the half idea. It's yeah, you know, the idea of systematised um, education comes from the Victorian era, doesn't it? So it's mm-hmm. and that came from the workhouse in a, in a sense. So it's it you know it's you're not doing something that's revolutionary. Yeah? You're doing something that's very established in that sense, I suppose. But I'm guessing you've you faced quite a lot of resistance from the external world. I'm suspecting you ignore it totally, of course. But um, <laughs> do you find this a degree of pushback in, from, from other adults? 
Um, I find, yeah, I, you know, a little bit. I, I, as you say, I ignore or I kind of avoid that kind of situation. But yeah, but people are like that anyway. I think if you're ever doing something that is slightly different from what everybody else is doing, I mean, even when when I was going, to, I was pregnant with my fourth child. I was talking to a group of mums and they said, "Oh, you're pregnant and how lovely!" And is this your first? I said, "No, this is the fourth. And the mum turned around and she said. God, who would want four kids? And it's like, well, hello, I'm having it already, so it's too late for who would want. Yes. But, uh, you know, I think if you're doing something, and also if you're doing something that people think, oh, I'd quite like to do that, but I, I don't know, what, what will other people think, or I'm not sure how to do it. So people can be quite, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's their way of being interested, I don't know, but it feels <laughs> it's felt a bit critical at times. Yeah, well, I think people... I think people are people are very judgmental, aren't they? And they've, you know, everybody has their own you know view of the world, and anybody else is wrong, really, off on the whole, aren't they? So, mm. so, so yes, you're doing something different. So I imagine you attract some you, some conversation around that. Um, yeah. With all this expertise and all this, you know, knowledge and wisdom that you've accrued, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you bring that into your own sort of professional practice? Then, well, because. Parenting to me is, you know, I, I and I'm not just because I'm a parent, but because everybody was once a child and they had parents. I think parenting and that relationship, that connection and the attachment between parent and child is the most important thing because all of, all of life is about relationship. Um, and, you know, I don't think I've ever sat with anyone in a counselling situation who has said, no, the attachment with my parents was was great. We had a really good, strong relationship. I always knew that I was important and valued, you know, that their needs were met. So it's, it's the most fundamental relationship. It's so important. And so I work with children and with adults and, you know, parents because that relationship, those relationships break down so often. And a lot of it goes back to when you delve into it how the parents were raised themselves um, and that their needs weren't met. Even, you know, even even sort of basic emotional needs weren't met. And so when they're not met, you don't have the concept of, of that thing being important for your child. So, and so children miss out. Sorry, yes. No, no, so that's a really interesting way of putting it. So, so if people want to... When people approach you, what's the what's the sort of um, problem or pain point that they, they come to discuss with you in terms of the therapeutic approach you take? Um, well, it will be something that's gone wrong, that's going wrong generally in their lives right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose because everything is about relationship, it comes back to, even if it's a problem with the relationship with their partner or with their children or with their parents, it all comes back to the relationship with yourself because it's the most important relationship, the first one you have and the last one we ever get to understand. Um, So when I see people, they're going through something in their lives and it generally comes back to um, how they feel about themselves, the the lack of of boundaries and of emotional resilience and and the ability to just, just cope with what's going on with them right now. And do you work mostly with adults or kids? Or how does that work? I work mostly with adults, but I do work with teenagers as well. Right. 
And and what's it's interesting because there's been quite a lot of um, raising of the awareness of mental health issues that's very much in the press at the moment, especially around boys and men. Mm-hmm. Um, are you seeing any rise in of of that work? Um, in terms of anxiety and depression, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't really <laughs> read too much um, about statistics, but I did read one, and it did say that three children in each classroom, in every classroom, will be suffering with anxiety. And that's like, that's huge. You know, a child, a child for children to be experiencing anxiety and panic attacks and depression is horrific. Yeah. It really is. And, um, yes, yeah, a lot of people I see are experiencing anxiety and much more than that, they're experiencing physical illness as well because because it's it's causing so much sort of dysfunction in their lives. Um, and then you trace it back and so much of it is because people... <sighs> I know people don't know who they are. They don't know what their own needs are, so they don't know how to meet their own needs. Mm. Um, and then a lot of parents are struggling because their children are pulling away um, and behaving in certain ways, and the parent hasn't got the uh, hasn't got the not the skills, but the ability to to see what's going on with their child because those needs weren't met in the parent either. Yeah, this and and, and it's interesting, isn't it? I remember the first time we brought a child home from the hospital and there's no manual that goes with the first bit which is how you get them home and deal with them there's certainly no manual for how, how you raise them in fact you know the the big manuals which have been written like Dr. Spock from my era I mean, <laughs> I mean they've been very you know they've been they've been seized upon by parents almost because there's such a lack of information to how to parent and I know in you know more deprived areas in the country parenting skills are one of the most important things that make a difference both in in terms of um, life outcomes for kids but also um, marital and relationship issues for adults as well so it strikes me there's a sort of a massive opportunity for people to to get to grips with that yeah um you know when you were you're talking about not having a manual for a child and I know I remember remember having Sam, our first child, Um, and really, for me, I feel as though parenting, it's it's challenging, and it's not to be underestimated, it is difficult, but not for the reasons that we often think that it's difficult, I think really, it comes down to a few basic things, that if you know what the needs of a human are, that you're in a much better position, you know, you know, bring a baby home and you've got this checklist and you know that if the baby cries are they hungry do they need changing um do they want to cuddle are they cold and you go through that checklist and you get to know what each cry means so then you, you grow to know what your baby needs um i think each developmental stage children go through the checklist is very much the same it you know it doesn't really change much do they feel Values, you know, when they walk in a room, do you acknowledge them? Do they feel that attachment, of course, which is the most important thing? Um, no, and, and that you're saying something really profound now. I, well, I believe you're saying something really profound because that really goes into organisations as well because, you know, how you treat people at work is a direct result of how you were parented but also how the, how you, how you um, parented yourself, I should say, but also the sort of the culture that you grow within the organisation and team around you. 
Mm-hmm. It's got to be a result of how you were brought up, isn't it? And any training that you've had since that. And yeah. and human needs are similar, aren't they? It is about recognition and you know sustenance and growth and success and and, yeah. and and you know fulfilling the person you are and could be your best version of yourself. I mean, all these phrases are a bit trite, but they're trite, <laughs> they're trite and cliches because they're true, not because they're not because they're false, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. And I think that in every relationship that you have with anyone. If you want that relationship to succeed, whether it's your marriage, whether it's with your kids, whether it's in a, a work situation, if people don't feel valued and significant, you're never going to get the best out of them. Mm. Um, and yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, I was, I was, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, I agree mm. with you. Um, yeah, blimey, I'm just. Um, Anna, this is a fascinating conversation, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to be respectful of your time because I think you and I, well, I know we, I could certainly chat to you for hours, and, uh, <laughs> and I think we have to just be, be careful about that. If people, if people would like to engage with you, or you know, maybe come and talk to you even about uh, their own issues, how, how would they get in touch with you? Well, you can get in touch with me via my website. It's annamichellerichards.com, and all my contact details are on there. And I know there's some interesting resources and such like and bits and pieces on there that people can have a look at as well on there. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> and obviously you can link to Anna's um, material through our show notes and such like and uh, sort of see the work that she's been doing. Uh, Anna, I feel as if we've only just begun this sort of conversation really, but um, and I know we could talk for more, but maybe maybe we could do a part two on this, maybe sometime later in the end, see how your journey's going. I would love to. I love to, I love talking to you, and I love talking about this stuff. So yeah, that would be great. Yeah, and I think we've got a shared passion and this idea of. Um, I know we were talking earlier about attachment theory, and um, before this conversation started on the podcast, and we both seem to have a love of that subject. So it's it's interesting for people to to know more about that and the work around that area. And you talk about it particularly in parenting, but I see how it works around organization culture as well i think yeah. i think you've got a really interesting perspective on this to say the least thank you thanks. so thank you so much for your time today for those of you who think you could reach out to Anna and use services then you've got a website address and um until the next time thank you all so much anna thank you for your time and for your input today i think it's been remarkable so um thank you and take care thank you bye Speak for now bye now bye thanks for listening today I hope we really got some value from that. I certainly enjoyed it myself. Remember, there's only other podcasts and with tools and techniques, different speakers and different resources available in this series of Resilience and Ravel, so please feel free to subscribe. Why not also drop across to Facebook and join our group, Resilience and Ravel, and join in the conversation. Also, if you wanted to whip over to iTunes and drop us a, a preview or a review, that would be fantastic. Thanks ever so much. You can get hold of us at qedod.com or at personalresilience.com, where you can get hold of free ebooks, resources, some online courses, and even some coaching. But whatever happens, I look forward for you joining us on the next edition of Resilience and Babble.